and welcome to the show. This is episode number 40 of Pop Culturally Deprived, and today we're going to be talking about the 2016 reboot of Ghostbusters on your Please Don't Be Like the Mayor of Jaws podcast. I'm Mandy Kay. And I'm Matthew Vose. I think this is the most recent film we've done so far. I think it's the most recent film on the list at all. Yeah, I, th- I think there's nothing else that... Um, maybe Dark Knight has probably been the most recent up to now. Yes, I think so. So, quite interesting. We, we've not talked about one that's uh, had a modern release al- almost since we've been recording. Only a little bit before that. Um, Mandy, why didn't you watch this when this was originally out? Because I had never seen the original. And I wanted to watch the original before I watched this reboot. And then we started talking about doing the show and I had to wait. Okay. <laughs> so it's my fault. No, it's not your fault. It's the show's fault. Okay. Before we dive into the conversation, a bit of history on this film. The 2016 reboot of Ghostbusters is a fantasy comedy film. It's written by Katie Dippold and Paul Feig, who also directed. The film stars Melissa McCarthy, Kristen Wiig, Kate McKinnon and Leslie Jones as the new team. Chris Hemsworth as their secretary and there are cameos from a lot of people. Plans for a third Ghostbusters film have rumbled for years, with discussions of the crew going to hell, becoming ghosts themselves, and other ideas being explored. There was a game released in 2009 that did some duties as a sequel. Bill Murray was generally reluctant to be in a further Ghostbusters film as he didn't enjoy the first sequel he did for it, and he wasn't pleased with concepts when he saw uh, further plots being developed. In 2014, it was reported that Paul Feig had taken over as director for Ghostbusters 3, but the the, the new film would be a full reboot with a female-led cast. This, coupled with the first trailer, led to a ridiculous amount of anger and bitterness aimed at the film by commenters online. Leslie Jones, in particular, was the target of abuse following the release of the film. This film is officially called Ghostbusters Answer the Call. This is because it would be listed as Ghostbusters 2016 forever, which would eventually make it sound quite dated. Paul Feig told the studio they could call it uh, whatever they wanted, Ghostbusters Answer the Call, for instance, as long as they didn't use it on the title card at the beginning of the film. How interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't until the first time I saw it and just watching through the credits. I'm like, wait, what's Ghostbusters Answer the Call? It's, I mean, it sounds video gamey. So I wondered what it was. But it's, yeah, because even looking at uh, the IMDb listing, it comes up as just Ghostbusters. Mm. And I'm looking at one of the movie posters, and Answer the Call just looks like a tagline at the top of the poster. It's not even after the title. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, I get what they're going for, you know, the who, who you're going to call thing. That's quite nice. But, yeah, it's really random. I think Trailer 3 used it, but the trailers and stuff before it just called this Ghostbusters. Very interesting. Well, as usual, I've been tasked to come up with a brief synopsis of this movie. And it's kind of hard to do, honestly, especially when you're trying not to make it sound exactly like the original Ghostbusters, which basically is what it sounds like. <laughs> so my my brief synopsis of this is, when ghosts invade Manhattan, four women band together to stop them. Yeah, yeah, I can see it. <laughs> it, I mean, it's the same premise, isn't it? It's there are spooky goings on and people start investigating it. Yes. Yeah. But I mean, that's what it is. It's yeah, no, no, just this time it's women, not men. So um, how did you watch this? Where is this available in the US? I found it on Stars On Demand. I don't think it was available in any of the subscription streaming services. 
No, it's the same over here. I didn't have it on Netflix, but it was available on Sky Cinema. Did you have expectations for this? And part of those expectations, did you want to see it even when it was at the cinema? Whatever. I did want to see it just because I'm a fan of Kristen Wiig and Melissa McCarthy. Okay. And I really liked the idea of a lady Ghostbusters. And then mm-hmm. uh, since we did watch Ghostbusters earlier this year for the show, and I really liked it, I thought there was no way I wouldn't like this reboot. Okay. So you like Christine Wig and Miss Melissa McCarthy. What's your experience of them? And then obviously the director, Paul Feig, the other uh, members of the crew and Chris Hemsworth. Okay. So this was actually a little bit surprising to me when I started looking everybody up. Okay. <laughs> because I okay. these four women are just so permeated in our society right now, mm-hmm. partially because of this, partially because obviously they all have connections to Saturday Night Live. And I was surprised at how little I've actually seen them do mm-hmm. besides just be online and be funny and have people talk about them. <laughs> uh, so I didn't even know who Kristen Wiig was before the movie Bridesmaids came out. Right. I had never heard of her at all. And then even since then, there's been very little that I've seen that she's been in. Um, she did a really good movie with Ben Stiller called The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's about it. Oh, she also did that really, really, really terrible Lifetime movie with Will Ferrell called A Deadly Adoption. Okay. <laughs> which was hilarious and terrible all at the same time. I, I think I saw trailers for it, but I never saw it. Yeah, it was terrible. Nice. Um, but I couldn't not watch it. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I'm looking at this list and I'm just like, I have no idea. I haven't even heard of most of these things. Um, Melissa McCarthy, kind of the same thing. Um, I did know who she was before Bridesmaids because, of course, Gilmore Girls. Melissa okay, McCarthy is yep. always going to be sookie for me. And then I was looking at the list and besides Bridesmaids... I haven't actually seen any of the other movies that she's done recently. I've seen trailers for them, Hmm. but I haven't watched any of them, which I was really surprised about. Just because she's become so pervasive, I think, in pop culture, that it was surprising. Uh, The one I'd I'd mentioned that's worth watching is Spy. Um, It looks ridiculous, and it is very ridiculous, but it's also surprisingly good fun. Um, the reason I left it on when I saw it one day, it has as Alison Janney in it. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Which, All right. That would be worth watching. Always then. makes me leave a film on, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Leslie Jones, I had honestly never even heard of her before this whole Ghostbusters thing started. And then because there was so much backlash against her, her name was popping up everywhere. And mm-hmm. so I'm familiar with her. And. Then she started doing a lot of stuff on Twitter. She ended up being like a, a correspondent for the Olympics and, you know, she live tweets Game of Thrones and things like that. And so I'm just generally aware of who she is, but I had never seen her on TV, on Saturday Night Live, on anything. Mm. Uh, same thing with Kate McKinnon. The only thing I know her from is Saturday Night Live. And I don't actually watch Saturday Night Live, so I only see clips when people are like, hey, this skit was really funny. You need to watch it. Okay. Um, so that's, I see, I just don't know anything about anything, apparently. <laughs> and the same thing with Paul uh, Feig, Feig, however you say his last name. Oh, interesting. I just um, go Paul Feig. 
Feig. Feig. Yeah, I, I have no idea. Um, he did Bridesmaids, which I've seen, and he did Knocked Up, and those are the only two things I've seen okay. that he's done. So, I know nothing about nothing, which is why we do a podcast called Pop Culturally Deprived. Did, did he do Knocked Up? He did. Oh, he's an actor in it. Okay. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, his whole list is like, he's an actor in this, he's a director of this, he's writer of this. And last on the list, Chris Hemsworth. Who's he? I've not seen him in anything. Chris Hemsworth is Thor. <laughs> That's what I'm always going to think of when I think of Chris Hemsworth. That's not the only thing I've seen him do, but it's always the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah. Um, he did also do Cabin in the Woods. Yes, he did. Joss Whedon's Cabin He's in the Woods. Very good in that. Yes, he is. And he was uh, Captain Kirk's dad I, in this most recent Star Trek. Absolutely is. George Kirk. <laughs> so I think we got our Star Trek and our Buffy reference right together. We did. So. Uh, he's also the hun- the Huntsman in the Huntsman film. It's not worth oh, seeing or right. remembering. Um, you're right. That's why I didn't remember it. And he's in 189 episodes of Home and Away. I don't know what that is. It's an Australian soap that has been going for 6,727 episodes. Holy crap. Okay. He is in one episode of Neighbours, folks. Like, you're either in Neighbours or Home and Away when I was growing up, but he's in episode 4,069 of the show Neighbours, of which there have now been 7,685. Okay. These are soaps. They're on, like, I want to say, like, half five in the afternoon. So it was, uh, you know, growing up, you see it after school. Got it. All right. Oh, he also did the, the remake of Red Dawn. Oh, did he? Which was terrible. Yes, mm. it's terrible. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm way more aware of Chris Hemsworth than I was of anybody else in this movie. Yeah. Um, but he was probably my least favorite in the movie. And and he that that is a proper bit of stunt casting, which we'll yes. talk about in more detail in, in, in a minute as well. Yep. Um. Funny thing that always comes to mind when we talk about Chris Hemsworth in, in Thor. I saw um, Megan Mullally and Nick Offerman uh, perform on stage. And they they said, you know, we know why people come to see us. They, they want to hear our inside scoop about people. So they, they then sang this very long song with lots of slightly dirty jokes about um, famous people that they've, they've done stuff with. And one of the bits in there is, a night with Chris Hemsworth will leave you feeling Thor. <laughs> oh i love that that's fantastic i think it ends with something like and kevin spacey knows what he did to not be mentioned in this song <laughs> <laughs> oh i want to find this online and listen to it that sounds yeah. hilarious they're, they're worth seeing they're very good fun the, the show is okay. called summer of 69 no apostrophe <laughs> okay <laughs> nice to remind any listeners, because it has been a while since we covered Ghostbusters, um, what was your your feelings and your reaction to that first film? I really liked it. Uh, it was very campy and silly, but very enjoyable. Cool. Good. What were your feelings about Ghostbusters Answer the Call 2016, the reboot? It was very campy and very silly, but very <laughs> enjoyable. <laughs> you did enjoy this. I did. I liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. What was it? Was there a, a bit in the film that grabbed you that from that you're like, oh, this is quite good fun. I'm quite enjoying this. Oh, that's a really good question. Hmm. I think part of it was just this movie was made to be fun. 
and kind of everything about it was intended to make you smile. Mm. Or at least it was intended to make me smile. I mean, I feel like this movie was made specifically to delight me because, <laughs> I mean, from the beginning, you got like strains of the Ghostbusters music. And I just have to tell you, every time that music played in this movie, I smiled like a crazy person. It's ridiculous. I mean, nothing had to be happening on the screen. Like, it could just have been a car driving down the street, but they're still playing that music in the background, and I'm still (laughs) grinning like a fool. The dialogue was really witty, and I really appreciated the just the character dynamics, I think, right from the beginning. Um, I was slightly concerned about Kristen Wiig's character to start with, Mm -hmm. but, I mean, she jumped right into it. I mean, she was just so, like, dowdy and fuddy-duddy and frustrating. But she got over that pretty quickly. Mm. So, um, it was... I just... I really liked it. It was enjoyable. And I'm having a really hard time putting into words why without going into our deeper conversation. Well, take us there. But you have a list of things. Oh, we, we are paying no attention to the list of in terms of order or anything. I will pick up stuff as we go. Okay. So then I think my very, very favorite thing about this movie, um, and I know that we're not at our favorites yet, but the thing that I want to talk about the most is my favorite thing. And that is, this wasn't really a remake. It was a reboot. Mm-hmm. And there is a difference between the two. And this wasn't, just Ghostbusters recast as four women telling the same story. It was the same idea, but it had its own story and it was its own thing and it was completely different. And I loved that they did that and that they gave it a chance to grow into what it needed to be rather than hanging on so tightly to what we had already had with the original Ghostbusters. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, this was creepier. It was darker. There were way more ghosts in this one than were the in, in the original. And it just made me really, really like it because I didn't feel like I was watching the same thing. Okay. Uh, that's really interesting because my, my, one of my big complaints about this is it pays too much respect to the original and tries to be the original too often. Okay. So the, the cameos in general... I'm gonna, specifically rather I'm going to come to in a, in a bit because they're their own thing but just as it goes through the use of the fire station uh, and then to have the car looking the same I can kind of stick with because the proton packs are the same and that's a, a fairly established thing that's probably okay but then to have Slimer in there as well to have some of the dialogue and, and the lines they use be the same lines to, there's a, a bit in one of the posters at the end that's a massive Twinkie and it says, that's a big, that's a reference to the first film and you wouldn't get it if you hadn't seen it, but it's also, they're throwing a lot of this stuff in there. If it was done with a lighter touch, I'd be happier with it. See, and I really liked that. Mm. I, because this, to me, this was a very different story. It was a movie that was doing its own thing, but it was paying respect to where it came from. And so for me, those were all Easter eggs that I really liked seeing and and kind of catching. Okay. I liked the nod to constantly talking about the the equipment being nuclear reactors. Mm-hmm. And at one point, Kate McKinnon's character talks about the equipment being untested and unstable. Yeah. And it was done so that it's very clearly a nod to the original, but it wasn't the same. 
you know, I mean, we didn't have the whole stupid EPA storyline and, and stuff like that. It was just occasional head nods. And I laughed at all of them. And so, I mean, like I said, I think this movie was made specifically to delight me. And so <laughs> I'm going to laugh at them. But I I really enjoyed it. Right. Uh, one of the reasons I asked you what it was that sort of kept you going through it is because when I watched this film for the first time, um, I watched it with my friend Chris, who's one of my oldest friends and has a movie collection to rival Netflix. So I was staying with him and he was like, nice. oh, this just arrived on Blu-ray. I'm like, yep, we'll watch that. Brilliant. Um, <laughs> and it was the 3D extended edition and they have an effect on the 3D version that just blew my mind, was just so amazing. And then, so I spent part of the film basically watching it for that effect. And then by the time you're halfway through, the film itself actually becomes really good. So I didn't notice that the first half of this film is really tightly edited. There's no room for uh, a, the, the character moments or some of the jokes to land. It's just on from each line and each moment to the next. And then there's almost a turn from the point where they capture the ghost at the uh, the Ozzy Osbourne Festival. From then, the film starts breathing a bit more and you have a few more moments. You have those, you know, dance scenes and so on. But the the beginning half of the film just has no space for that. But I didn't notice it. So I wondered if you'd had a similar sort of, oh, I was watching this. I was watching the performances and, and watching, uh, frankly, Kate McKinnon <laughs> whenever she's on screen. Oh, I was watching a lot of Kate McKinnon mm. when she was on screen. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, I think um, in my thoughts doc, the first quote, nope. No, it is. Actually, my first two quotes, one right after the other, are both Kate, McKen- Kate McKinnon quotes right. because she was amazing. You know, so when uh, Aaron shows up at Abby's lab, <laughs> Kate McKinnon says, I've heard terrible things about you. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then she's, she's eating the, the Pringles and she says, you try saying no to these salty parabolas. <laughs> and I'm just like... This woman is after my own heart, and I love her. A, a lot of this reportedly is improv, and I think that's a little bit the problem with the editing, because they're trying to construct a film from these lots of random takes with different bits of dialogue and different lines. It's hard to find some consistency to throw in more character moments. But when they actually get into the plot, you can't do so much improv. You you have a lot more establishment to the scenes, so you can cut them to be a bit longer, I, I think, never having made See, a film. I felt that way about later in the film mm. when they were in the um, when they were looking for the ghost at the the festival and they were going through the theater and like through all of the prop rooms and stuff. Mm-hmm. I felt like a lot of that was more improv. Yeah. And so that's where I noticed it. I didn't notice it earlier in the movie. Ordinarily, I wouldn't look for those sorts of things, but I had seen some chatter about that uh, when you guys were, were talking mm. on Twitter. I was trying to ignore the conversations you guys were having <laughs> since I hadn't seen it yet, but but I did catch that, and so I was kind of looking for what I thought might be uh, the improv, and it just for me, it, it I'd noticed it later. Although thinking about it, you try saying no to these salty parabolas. I'm pretty sure had to be improv. Yeah. So. Oh yeah, both those lines you said. I think <laughs> that that's her just coming up with something not not necessarily on the spot, but being allowed to do in her thing. And yeah, I think yeah. it was JLMO who who said that she loved the film and, and it was lots of fun. But yeah, the editing is uh, cobbling together what they what they have filmed. Yeah, I just I didn't I didn't get that feeling. Like I didn't come out of the movie feeling like I had seen something that wasn't a cohesive story. Yeah, and, and the extended edition, 
like like I said, that was the first one that I saw, and then went back and saw the normal version later on. And it's really strange because there's there's some additions that you can see why they took them out. There's like another five dance scenes. <laughs> like, this is a film that has a lot of dancing already, so I'm glad they didn't throw them all in. It's got a bit more backstory uh, about them uh, as younger people writing the book and so on, and uh, a bit more explanation about that. It's got a bit more backstory for Rowan. Largely, it's expanding on what we've already seen, so it doesn't need it. Although, there are some bits with Kristen Wiig's boyfriend, and like her trying to change the way she is for him. So, some nice character stuff that, that informs us a bit about her desperate need to fit in. There is one bit that was in the extended edition that I really liked because it was a reference to the original in a completely different way. So there's a, a bit, I think, again, in that um, the, the Ozzy Osbourne Festival where Kate McKinnon says, don't cross the streams. And they have a joke about not crossing the streams. Fine. Oh, see, I missed that. I was looking for no, that. No, no, well, and I didn't, yeah, it's, I it's didn't only in it. the extended edition. Okay, so oh, she says okay. that. And then later on, when they're looking at the portal, they're like, well, maybe if we cross the streams, it would create enough energy to close the portal. So they have the really similar moments of crossing the streams and expecting to die. And it doesn't work, so they just turn off the proton packs and they're like, well, that didn't work. Uh, what, what next? Well, hey, how about that thing on top of the car? <laughs> so you don't miss it when it's not there, but I actually quite enjoyed them going, we're going to do a reference to the original, but no, this is something completely different, so that what we did, what happened in the other film doesn't work here. See, and I'm actually, I think I'm glad that wasn't there, because most of the nods that we got to the original aren't that blatant. Mm-hmm. It's a really subtle. And that one, I think, I would have been like, oh, well, that's just too explicit yeah. so i'm glad they didn't okay. do that the, the other scenes in the extended edition are explaining some of the pot, plot holes of the film a bit more so the fact that like Kristen wig isn't in them when abby turn when M- melissa mccarthy turns into a ghost or, or gets possessed it's not odd that she's not there but also it's a little odd that she's not there i don't think i even noticed because she then i think they then go to do the thing and she eventually turns up later uh, and there's a, there's a scene of her, oh, I think when they're arrested or disavowed or something, she's like, I, I just can't do this, guys, and walks away and goes home. Probably order some Chinese food. I liked the <laughs> recurring thing of the Chinese food. Okay. That was good fun. <laughs> Apparently Matthew likes Chinese food. Oh, I love Chinese food. But I liked the recurring jokes about the delivery guy and them being above the Chinese place. No. And, and again, they were completely new for this. I quite enjoyed them. Do, do, do we want to have a conversation about the controversy stuff other than it's ridiculous? I think that's all we need to say is it's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, okay, there is, there is a conversation potentially about are these genuinely gender flipped? Have they incorporated um, uh, writing them differently? Oh, I don't even know how to phrase the question. Like, could these roles have been cast by men or women? To, sorry, actors, men or women to have played these roles? Or is it very much written, we're going to cast a woman in this part? I think it was very much written for these four women. I think they decided they wanted to do Ghostbusters with women, and then they wrote the script with that in mind. Okay. And so it, it was written for women. For example, I can't see most of Melissa McCarthy's lines and even the the physical comedy and stuff that she had. I can't see that coming from bill murray you know what i mean it was very much written for melissa mccarthy Hmm. and some of that's a good thing and some of that's a very bad thing (laughs) specifically with melissa mccarthy she's the one who had the most physical comedy you know where she was testing the equipment and it threw her up in the air and she was bouncing around and going everywhere and that 
That is a trope that I just really dislike, and I was really disappointed that they did it because it's basically using the fat girl falls down a lot to be funny. Right. And it seemed very blatant and very obvious. And and it's because it's something I've become more aware of just because Melissa McCarthy is a plus-size woman who has gotten some notoriety and been on the screen a lot. And mm. so I've seen these conversations happen a lot. And I was hoping that we would maybe have evolved past that a little bit. And we didn't. This was the same character that she always plays. It was the same character that she played in Bridesmaids. Well, not exactly, but very similar. Her, her comedy is just always the same. Mm. And it's always built on the fat girl falls down, so it's funny. And that bothers me mm-hmm. just a little bit. Mm. I think that's the controversy that we should be talking about with this movie <laughs> and not, oh, it's four women replacing men from the original. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Interesting, because I didn't spot it. I can only think of the bit where she's got the proton pack and it's treating her like a balloon. That bit. In my head, it's Kristen Wiig who falls over all the time with her getting slimed and so on. Uh, well, I didn't notice Kristen Wiig like, falling over. I mean, yeah, she got slimed a lot, but she just kind of stood there with slime all over her, mm-hmm. looking like Kristen Wiig with slime. But Melissa McCarthy was just all over the place. You know, she's even when she was possessed by Rowan, there was a lot of physical comedy with her that you didn't get with the other two. Even though Kate McKinnon got thrown out the window, it was still done very differently than the way Melissa McCarthy was being physical. Okay. And it may just be something that I'm looking for is, is it, and sensitive to. Yeah, some, some of that and also the thing of once you see it, you can't unsee it. Yeah, I think so. Mm. I mean, it's it's not something that I would have seen probably five years ago because I would have just been like, oh, yeah, that's what fat people do on TV, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and now that I'm in this community where I'm trying to look at things more critically and kind of understand where things come from and, and why we have tropes and, you know, why tropes are sloppy and, and things like that, that I really do see them. And it, it's frustrating, especially – when you are a person of plus size and, and you're seeing yourself represented on the screen in a way that's different from how other people are. Yeah. Yeah. I can completely see that. And it, it echoes a little bit some of the comments about the racial casting in this film. Um, the fact that there is the, the, the one black woman on this and in, in the crew and she is not a scientist. She's a transit worker. Is her phrase yes. someone in that role? I don't know. Um, but she... And some of the stuff that they give her to do about being shrieky and scared, being looking after people, the the ridiculous strength when she's attacked by Melissa McCarthy, who is herself shown to have ridiculous strength when she's possessed, it all feeds into uh, heavy racial tropes. So okay. as, as much as the film can be lauded for, for doing this gender flipping and saying, right, let's actually do something a bit different. And and if we're going to reboot, let's try something that's not just the same thing and four white guys or three white guys and the black guy that we had before. But it's still slipping into some of the same racial tropes it's had previously. I guess this is me still showing some of my blindness. Is I I didn't notice that very much. Hmm. The the main thing I noticed was that they called it out specifically uh, when she jumped into the crowd and they didn't catch her. Hmm. And and she immediately jumps up, or actually, I think she's still laying on the ground when she yeah. says it, and she calls it out. I don't know if it was a race thing or a lady thing, but I'm mad as hell. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was very self-aware. 
And so I feel like they were trying to overcome some of that, mm-hmm. but there's still a long ways to go. Yeah. This A.E. Shaw on Twitter shared an article with us uh, that I'll put in the show notes for this, actually, because it was quite interesting just about some of these uh, previous tropes. The, again, it's a little bit, once you see it, you go, yeah, why is she the one doing that? Although Leslie Jones herself said, no, that that's the role that I wanted, and it was quite good. So fine. But we can do better writing sometimes, surely. I think we can always do better. Yeah. I'll tell you one thing that once you notice it, you can't unnotice it. And that's the colour palette of this film. Ooh, do you like that one? <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually really intrigued by what you're going to talk about here. Because I did notice when you were doing the live watch on our Discord server yesterday, I noticed that you were talking about color a lot. Yeah. Uh, I was I was in and out because, I, I mean, I, I couldn't join you for the the watch but my discord notifications kept popping up so i kept seeing you talking about colors and like yellow and and all this other stuff and i didn't quite (laughs) get the context because i i wasn't watching along with you and so i'm really curious what you have to say here because honestly the only color i really remember is green from the end the way this film uses color is extraordinary to me The, the comment i made is that watching this is a bit like a feast for my eyes just it uses vibrant colours. Where where modern films are uh, certainly this sort of fantasy or or very grand uh, effects heavy stuff, it has a lot of colour, but it also tries to be a bit muted. It tries to go for realistic looks of things. So if you think things like the X Men and the DC Universe and the MCU, again big effects heavy, but they try to do it in oh he can't wear yellow spandex anymore. He has to wear a black leather thing. Okay, no, let him wear yellow. It's good. It looks good on screen. Um, and in this, within a few seconds, they're walking through the old house and there is this bright lime green light that they walk past. And, and that that shade of green pops up everywhere. It's it's the, the green of the slime and the green of the sort of glow of the portal and so on. But just the colour green is scattered throughout. The people who are touring the house at the beginning, one of them's got a flyer that is green. Two of them are wearing, like, green jackets. There's all this kind of thing. It's like, okay, these are really unusual colours to have. But then a lot of the film also has this uh, sort of dark red purpley colour going on, almost maybe maroon. That there are walls of that colour. People wear shirts and jackets of that colour. It's the the sort of colour on the proton packs. And again, it's it's another vibrant colour that pops out differently. And then there's also lots of very vibrant blues. And there's lots of kind of earth tones and yellows, particularly used with Christine Week. You said about how she's uh, a bit dowdy to begin with. Her clothes, right. certainly, but the situations they put her in make give her these earthy tones around her, these sort of browns and oranges and yellows. So it roots her very much in the real world, where everyone else has all these colours popping. Uh, and my first instinct was that they're doing something with the secondary colour palette. So where most films will go to like a red or a blue or a yellow, you know, very primary colour stuff. They're trying to do secondary colours. But it's not even that, because there is this red that's not quite purple, so it's not either primary or secondary, maybe. It's tertiary. Tertiary, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps there is a, a more advanced version of the colour wheel that I've not <laughs> looked at. But yeah, it's all the way through. There's a few colours that are used everywhere. Um, I'm definitely going to be writing an article on this with many, many screenshots because it's fabulous. You don't see films looking this good and this colourful. And like I say, f- a, a genuine feast for the eyes. I can agree with that. I mean, I didn't pick up on the color thing, but that's because I don't look at cinematography the same way you do. 
And so I don't really notice things unless they're really, really striking. Mm -hmm. But I did notice that it was vibrant and bright and that it looked really good while I was watching it. And I think that coupled with that Ghostbusters music that they kept playing throughout (laughs) together, those two things just made me happy. Even even the Fallout Boy version of the Ghostbusters theme. Yes. Which is not great. No, it wasn't. But it still made me smile it like is, a fool, yeah. okay? <laughs> and I love Fallout Boy, but oh, that's not a good song. Mostly what I liked mm. was the instrumental theme yeah. that they kept playing through. Like, mm. um, So in the original, it was what was playing during the um, montage mm-hmm. of when when the Ghostbusters got famous and were going out and doing all of their crazy things. We didn't get that in the new one, which I'm actually kind of glad about, but we still got the music in a lot of different places. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't always just because our four women were on screen. It just happened at times because this is a Ghostbusters movie. And so we need Ghostbusters music. Yeah. And it just made me happy. It made me feel good it made me like the movie and it made me want to watch more nostalgia makes you feel good (laughs) can it really be considered nostalgia if i only just watched the original ghostbusters less than a year ago (laughs) i mean does that count as nostalgia is there a time limit on nostalgia (laughs) i i don't know we might have to open that one up to our listeners no i i as i say i first time i saw this i was just entranced by the screen of like holy wow there's some great stuff going on here and i i suspect it's someone like paul feig who is uh, a very elaborate director he he does not tell his cast members to rein things in he lets them go and suddenly being given a budget that allows for effects as well he's he's gone for it and and so that uh, i'm gonna segue into talking about the 3d effect now on the 3d version that was also then in imax he he does two things that are just they leave my jaw on the floor they're so good uh, the first is when it cuts to that sequence of them walking into Times Square. The the square where they have the fight at the end is not Times Square, is it? I don't remember. It's Times Square-esque. They, they, they walk into this big square. At that point, when it was an IMAX, it's it's been letterboxed up to that point. So there's black bars at the top and bottom. Um, okay. And when they walk through, suddenly the black bars are gone and it's filling the IMAX screen. So you've, you've got just this, oh, and there's ghosts everywhere, and there's just this huge spectacle in front of you. I didn't see it in IMAX, and I'm disappointed that I didn't now um, when I read about that. I really wish I had gotten to see these ghosts in 3D. I feel like that would have been amazing. Yeah, so the thing they did that's just wonderful is it, all the rest of the film has these black bars top and bottom. When there is some sort of big visual effect, a ghost, electricity coming off a ghost the proton beams being fired at a ghost, the visual effects go outside of the black bars. On the article that I've just sent you, though, there are a couple of screenshots further down, one of which shows the 2D version, and there's proton beams within the black bars, and then on the other one, you can see the sparks are flying off outside the black bars, the beams going through them. This 2D picture looks 3D because of the way we expect it to work in this black box. Right. That's really cool. Yeah, and it happened... It happened with like when the the girl the, the the ghost slimed Abby, the slime goes outside the black bar. And I, I I turned to Chris. I was like, "Wait, did that just go over the black bar? That's really weird." And it just kept happening all the way through. When you've got the the ghost on the subway, he's floating outside of it with electricity sparks going the the full width of the screen. That's really clever. So good. 
Um, I, I found a really good interview with Paul Fee because, and, and not many people have spoken about this, which is a shame because it's so cool. Someone asked him a question and he said, there's this thing with 3D and directors. Everyone goes, I'm going to be classy. I'm not going to do stuff where it throws stuff in the audience's face. I'm like, why would you not do that? That's the most fun thing you can do with 3D. So I'm going to have fun with it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I really wish I had gotten to see that. Mm. So perhaps we'll see if we can find a, a cinema screening of it at some point in the future and catch that. <laughs> I, I would be all about that. Yeah, it's so good. And and I know exactly what he says because I get annoyed with 3D films when they do... In the first Avengers film, there's a bit where Iron Man's cutting something with a laser and the laser goes across the screen. Oh no, it's like the laser's coming out of the screen at me. Like, really? Do you have to? <laughs> you wouldn't do that shot. Or, or people are walking across the screen. So you have someone walk in front of them to show the depth of the field. Right. You just would not do that if you weren't filming in 3D. So so people do do this stuff of, oh, we're going to do little things to make you know it's 3D. But yeah, I'm much more about them going like, no, no, we're going to really confound your expectations of watching a film. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't really pay to go see things in 3D anymore just no. because they cut down on that sort of thing and they've just made it normal except in 3D. Mm. And to me, it's not worth the extra cost just to see something that's technically more complex. Yeah. So it's things like this, the fun things that, you know, that make you jump. You know, I think I saw, I want to say maybe Finding Finding Nemo in 3D yeah. or something. Some Something where there were fish swimming and, and they swim towards your face and like you really feel like they're coming at you. Nice. You know, that's a good use of 3D. Mm. And just... Watching a movie for the sake of it being in 3D is not fun for me. So it sounds like they were really working the 3D aspect for what it should be yeah. with this. Yeah, I'd agree. The one other thing I think I wanted to talk about was the cameos. Um, and I'm particularly talking the cameos from the original cast. Right. Of which I think I counted nine. I'm not sure there were nine people in it. So I think I might have been counting like the fire station. Which the fire station does not count as a cameo. The, the fire station does not need to be in this film. That is a fun moment, and it's a fun poke at the state of New York as it was and as it is now. The fact that something like that is so expensive, you couldn't afford it. Like, right. yeah, okay, that's quite nice, but the film doesn't need it. If if I'm saying that the film could do with a bit more space to breathe, take out that several minute film and expand some of the other scenes by a few seconds here and a few seconds there. Maybe you've got something that feels a bit better as you go through see and specifically with the firehouse i really really like that because up front the movie is telling us hey we're not the same as the original ghostbusters because we're not putting them in the firehouse we're showing you that the firehouse is here but we're not going to put them there so it's different and i i liked that mm -hmm. but i'm also weird so <laughs> I, I think had that been the cameo or that amongst a couple of other things yeah, it'd be fine. But to have had every member of the original cast in this, with the exception of Rick Moranis, who has even said, I, I turned it down because I'm on this hiatus. I only do stuff that's really interesting to me. And this is a, just a thing I've done before, so I wasn't interested. To have had a statue, uh, a bust made of Harold Ramis, so that you've, you've got something of him because he'd passed away not long before this was made. Uh, to have had the Dan Aykroyd cameo, which is a, a genuine cameo. His whole moment does not need to be there. So it is very much weird. Yes, it does. Because he says, I ain't afraid of no ghosts. Which lends nothing to the story. 
<laughs> no, it doesn't, but it made me laugh and smile, and I loved yeah. it. So, so that one is, is a pure cameo. And again, if it had been that, or that, and maybe Sigourney Weaver at the end, fine. To have also had this uh, character in it who is Bill Murray. And the character is maybe relevant to the story. Maybe they could have done that a better way. But then to have made that Bill Murray is quite funny, but it's in amongst just... Time after time, I, I feel like this film is saying, hey, this is still a Ghostbusters film, and look how much reverence we're paying to the original for you. Whereas I would have much rather it have gone, this is going to be completely original, we're going to do something new, and maybe we're going to have like a cameo from Dan Aykroyd that would have been nice. That would have been fine. See, and I like that it does this, that it is paying such homage to the original I like those Easter eggs, even though, I mean, obviously they're they're not really yeah. Easter eggs because they're thrown in your face, yeah. and I, I get that. But, I mean, so Bill Murray's character absolutely has nothing to do with the story at all. He could have not been in this, mm-hmm. and nothing would have changed. Yeah. But the fact that the main Ghostbuster from the original is the debunker here was just amazing to me. I loved it. I thought it was hilarious and I couldn't stop laughing at it and I I liked it. So I I think I was the target demographic for this movie, Thanks. honestly. Just you hadn't seen the other Ghostbusters by that point. They made it too soon. Yes. Too soon. <laughs> Basically. Back in the TARDIS exactly. Too <laughs> <early>. <laughs> yeah, it's really bizarre to me because I never thought that I would be somebody who got excited over Ghostbusters and then I watched this movie and I'm just all over it. <laughs> like I kind of want to go watch it again right now. <laughs> um, Brandon, who recorded the original Ghostbusters uh, episode with us at Shoe Size 38, he said, I laughed a lot during that film. It was enjoyable. And that, I think, is exactly where I land as well. Like, yeah, this is enjoyable. It's not great. It's not. I, I, I can't feel that I would watch this over and over and over again and quote it a lot. There's a few moments that have real greatness to it, but generally it's... I'm going to watch it over and over again and quote it at you all the time. <laughs> but generally, yeah, it's oh, it's a nice way to pass a couple of hours. I love that you and I are on such different sides of the fence, but we both still enjoyed it. Yeah. I don't know that this has happened before. And there are, I think there are definite things we can lean on and say, okay, these are great about it. So do you want to tell me some of your favorite moments? So, I mean, I love this whole movie, basically. Mm-hmm. But I think one of my (laughs) – you never would have guessed, right? (laughs) One of my favorite things about this movie is just how utterly self-aware it is, particularly with Chris Hemsworth's character Mm -hmm. because he is the eye-candy, dumb blonde model who knows nothing and gets the job just because Kristen Wiig thinks he's pretty. And he reinforces that all the way through the movie. But it's done in such a way that's so obvious and self-aware. And it just made me laugh because it's nice to see not a woman in that role. So they're they're doing it ironically. Yes. Very ironically. I mean, it it was definitely not intended to be serious. If, If this had been a movie where a woman was in that role and the woman acted that way, I don't think it would have been ironic. It would have been, oh, hey, this is just a really pretty woman and we don't care that she's dumb. But because they cast Chris Hemsworth in that role, it made it ironic and self-aware and a feminist statement, honestly. And I really enjoyed it. I'm going to preface what I'm about to say with I really like it as well. 
Okay. Okay. However. But. <laughs> no, no, there are no buts here. Only Chris Hemsworth but. No. However, it really put me off when I saw this. Like, I, I had a bit of a laugh in the trailer and then it, it sort of dawned on me. Like, the problem with doing things, ironically, is you're still doing the thing. If, if you if you wear a Vote Bush t-shirt, ironically, you're still wearing a Vote Bush t-shirt. <laughs> that is to, true. To quote MC Lars from, like, 2005. <laughs> but the... The casting of someone as great looking as he looks and having him being the, the dumb secretary. Two wrongs do not make a right. Okay? I don't know. I kind of feel like in this instance they do. Like, like you're saying, it, it is self-aware and it is they're doing it to um, make a point about the way women are cast in these things. So that's fine. But they are still doing the thing. However, they 100% earn it for me. Because he becomes a plot point. Because Rowan takes him over and uses him as the villain. And that's one of the driving forces for them to go and stop him. Like, okay, actually they, they work it into the plot that it's it's an important point. That he is then this big buff guy who can take down the police really quickly. And, and do the rest of the thing that he needed to do. So I really enjoyed the way that they earned it in the film. My other favourite things. Basically, every time Kate McKinnon was on the screen... Mm -hmm. Because she's absolutely delightful and wonderful, mm -hmm. and I love her. And I love that they let a woman be that weird. Yeah. And they didn't call it out as being weird. She was just being herself, mm -hmm. and that was wonderful. And Leslie Jones, like, I want to watch everything she's ever been in now. Oh, really? <laughs> because I adored her. I adored her. The power of pain compels you! Ow! <laughs> That's a great line. And... I think my favorite line was actually <laughs> when they're at the theater and she walks into the room full of the mannequins and she goes, room full of nightmares, not going in there. <laughs> I just cracked up and I was like, yep, yeah. right with you, sister. <laughs> yeah, a proper postmodern horror film that knows what it's doing. Yes, absolutely. You know, it's one of those things where when you watch a, a quote unquote horror film, you know, you yell at the screen like, don't go in there. You're stupid. Don't do that. And she's just like, nope, not going in there. Yeah. And I loved it. It was great. So I will I will stop gushing now because that's really all I've been doing this whole time. So why don't you tell us what you liked the most? Uh, like you, Kate McKinnon is uh, Holtzman is a wonderful character first and foremost. Like you say, no one calls out her weirdness. No one says like, oh, "Stop being weird." That's a really strange thing to say. It, it is just her, and it's fine. And they take it, and she's accepted. But she is actually, actually wonderful. And, th and then it obviously culminates her whole thing with the weapons. And then when they're in the fight at the end, she's like, oh, I forgot my toys. Right. Takes out the two guns. Licks one. Let's go. <laughs> and it's just, I get goosebumps at that moment. It is so good. There, there were a few moments in action films that I absolutely love. The motorbikes in Akira or the the lobby scene in the matrix you know there, there were some great action sequences that i could watch over and over again that is one of them because it's wonderful the like you say the music swells to the ghostbusters theme she looks awesome she, the way she reacts to it at the end she's like oh yeah <laughs> she's just so pleased at what she's just done it's fabulous she is fabulous and i i love all of her different weapons that she kept making mm -hmm. you know i mean that's different from the original they didn't they just had their proton packs in the original. And, and, you know, she's got the the ghost chipper, which I think was my favorite <laughs> out of all of them. And, like, the weird glove thing that Melissa McCarthy had. 
<laughs> which didn't look like a glove at all, but still was hilarious. Yeah. And I just, I just loved that she was given that space mm. to be herself. Yeah. I loved it. I loved it. Yeah. It was I, great. And, and, and like you were saying about Leslie Jones, I will now watch Kate McKinnon in anything. She has earned a lot of credit with me for random films yes. in the future. I, I'm still not sure I want to watch that uh, Scarlett Johansson movie that was out a couple months back, Rough Night yeah, or something like that. just come out over here. Yeah. I, I'm not sure Kate McKinnon is enough to get me to watch that, but maybe just about anything else. Kate, Kate McKinnon and Scarlett Johansson will do it for me. I'll watch that. <laughs> well, you'll just have to tell me about yeah. it. <laughs> Although it didn't get great reviews, so I'm on the fence at the moment okay i'm looking through my notes just to see if there was anything else i wanted to talk about that we didn't mention and there is one thing that i really did not like mm-hmm. apart from the whole fat physical comedy stuff okay when all four of them are trying to yeah they're no they're trying to get the demon ghost at the the theater festival and all four yeah. of them are shooting their proton packs at the thing demon ghost Mm -hmm. whatever it is and kate mckinnon is telling she's talking to all of them kind of giving everybody encouragement like you're doing great abby blah blah blah. and then she goes patty try a little harder erin doing great abby doing great patty try a little harder Pat. and if if it hadn't happened right after patty had Mm -hmm. just called out i don't know if it was a race thing or a lady thing maybe i wouldn't have noticed it so much but for them to immediately after that have Kate McKinnon say, Patty, try a little harder, when she's doing the exact same thing as everybody else, I don't know what they were trying to do there. And it, it did feel very much like a racial trope thing, and I didn't like it. It made me uncomfortable. Yeah, I can. I think I can see what they're doing, that it's just her being a bit kooky and, and not oh, not socially normalized. I don't know. I don't know what the, the right word is. but But she could have picked either of the other two yeah, women exactly. to do it. So it, why did it have to be Patty who got mm-hmm. that line? Yeah. Especially because we've already had a thing of her, or them all being a bit mean to Abby and Abby standing out from them. Right. Yeah. Why not lean on that joke? You already established a bit harder. Usually we would do listener feedback on previous episodes, but we got so much from you guys on Ghostbusters before we even did the show, Brilliant. we're going to go ahead and go through some of that because you guys had a lot of thoughts about this movie and it makes me really happy. So we're going to start with Dr. Kelly Jones at Dr. Kelly Jones on Twitter. She said, I loved it. Hilarious. And the academic lens made it even funnier. The feminist lens was excellent, but sadly it was racially unbalanced. Yeah. And that's the, the same thing that Abby sent us about the way Patty was cast and used. She has some of that, uh, the, the trope of the Mammy character going on with her. Abby had a couple of other interesting points about not liking what they did with Kevin at the end um, and having the context from the first film to get what's going on. And, and yeah, the, the, we, we've talked about how there's all these uh, Easter eggs <laughs> and moments and cameos from the first films. And yeah, if, you, if you're not aware of them, I, I do suspect that you might watch this and be like, I, I don't get half of this. I'm not sure. It'd be like watching Avengers Civil War. Not Avengers Civil War. You see, it wasn't even an Avengers film. Captain America Civil War. And I mean, like, okay, who's this guy? And who's this guy? What's going on? Um, but she did also say the sharp, witty, endearing repartee early on is, is hit pretty hard. The script is harsh and feels like having the nuance yelled at you. And yeah, it's funny. You were, you were mentioning about the weapons, Mandy. 
and they've basically added the weapon scenes and like you say gotten rid of the montage the montage element is now them going to google being like hey ghost sightings hey let's draw oh, some lines yeah and that shows that <laughs> there's more ghost stuff going on but hey look at these cool toys we've got to play with guys <laughs> And I am 100% okay with yeah. that. But I think Abby's right. It it If you're not someone who, who is like me and is delighted by all of the quote-unquote nostalgia in this movie, then it does feel like it's being yelled at you. And that's all you're getting from it, I think. I, I will concede that point. But like I said, it was made specifically to delight me and I loved it. Uh, our friend Lauren, Six-Legged Knits. Uh, love the original. Enjoy the team-building aspects of the new one, but the threat was stupid, poorly re- realized, and routinely resolved. In other words, I might like another film with the same characters and a better villain. Oh, you know, we didn't even talk about Rowan. <laughs> I, I would. I, I think I went back and said this is perfect. Yeah, I would 100% agree with this. He has no motivation except, oh, I was bullied. That is true, but honestly, I feel like he is a better villain than we had in the original movie. Yeah, the original honestly. A villain as such. I mean, it does obviously in the end with Zool and then um, Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. But it is it is just spooky goings on. Right. There's no reason for it. It's just there's a lot of ghosts mm. and New York is being haunted now. And at least this was an actual villain who was trying to do something bad. You know, he was doing it on purpose. And so there was actually something for people to fight it wasn't just random ghosts everywhere and i liked that Mm -hmm. i liked how that was different Mm -hmm. from the original so i guess i am just doomed to always have the less popular opinion on everything i I will absolutely agree with you yes i like having an actual thing that they're fighting rather than it being ghosts 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 ghost montage and now an actual antagonist threat (laughs) yeah Yeah. okay Um, but Yeah. yeah they gave us no real they gave us some backstory for him, but it was not good backstory. And then it was just, yeah, a big thing at the end. I, I do like the scene of them doing that, the big Hero 6 thing at the end of, of jump, her jumping in to save Abby. That was nice. Yeah, my, my thought there was, I honestly don't think I would have jumped in after her. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I'm a really terrible human being there. Mm. But yeah, that was, that was really nice. Carrie at We Do Words loved and wanted more of the characters. The story was pretty meh, but watched the director's cut, not the theatrical release, so not sure what the original was like. You got a lot more dancing in that. The the whole bit with Chris Hemsworth uh, taking over all the people, he makes them do a whole kind of thriller-style dance and stuff. And it's it's quite funny for the effects of it and seeing all these people dancing together, but, oh, it does nothing. (laughs) Actually, that makes me think of another point I wanted to make. I didn't understand how a ghost was controlling people. Was that just a thing I was supposed to whistle past? Yeah. Portal's open. He's got huge amounts of power now. Let's go with that. Okay. Yeah, yeah it made no sense <laughs> to me. I mean, it was funny to watch, but I didn't get it. Mm. Like, where did these abilities come from? Because normal ghosts can't do that unless they're possessing him. And he, obviously, he wasn't possessing all of those people. He was only possessing Kevin. Yeah. So it just didn't make sense. Yeah. But I whistled past it because the rest of it was delightful. There is one nice moment in there, which, again, it's in the credit sequence now, so you can see it there. But as he's doing this whole dance with them, he spins around, but his head stays facing forward. Oh, and, I didn't And that's do that. just one little... It's like, okay, that's quite a nice effect. I like that. <laughs> Interesting. Because I did not appreciate the head spinning around when Melissa McCarthy did oh, it. Oh, really? No. But that's... Just because it freaks you out? Just... Yes. 
Very much so. It's a little too reminiscent of Teacher's Pet. Okay. <laughs> Finally, Rachel at Gyp- Gypsy Book Nerd. I thoroughly enjoyed the movie, but thought they could have strayed further from the original. Yeah, they did have a bit of the original in here, didn't they? I'll agree with that. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like you and Rachel are very similarly minded on this. I will say I missed Annie Potts uh, my first time through, and I was really bummed. Because I was like, well, why was everybody in this but Annie Potts? And then I realized I was looking online and people were saying Annie Potts was in it. And I was like, what? And so I had to go back and rewind it and see it. And it turns out... That hotel scene was when I had gotten up to get another drink, and I didn't pause it. I just let it play. <laughs> and so I heard her voice and heard her talking, but it didn't occur to me that that was Annie Potts. Right. <laughs> so uh, I got to, I did get to go back and, and rewatch it and really enjoy mm. it, but I missed it the first time through, and I was disappointed. Oh. And I think, is there a moment when Kevin has her line picking up the phone? He's like, Ghostbusters, what do you want? I think he did, yes. Yeah. Which, uh, and again, that's a, a little homage, and that's quite nice. Yeah, there were a few really nice, yeah. nice nods, um, mm. but there were some that were super, super blatant. I, I, I love the scene where they're talking to the mayor, um, and she says something like, oh, there's going to be mass hysteria. Well, we certainly want, wouldn't want mass hysteria. And it's funny because that is a phrase you're just so used to saying because it's a famous quote and it's you, you see it everywhere. And, and she sort of says that you can almost hear the inverted commas around it. Um, we don't want mass hysteria either. Mm-hmm. I didn't even notice that one. Okay. And and again, another great Kate McKinnon moment. Do you have any idea how many federal regulations you're breaking on a daily basis? One. No. Two. No. Is it one? Is it one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys, there are so many ways that you can get in touch with us. If you want to give us your comments on this or any other movie we've discussed, you can use the hashtag PC Deprived on Twitter. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing. If you want to leave real voice feedback for us, you can go to speakpipe.com slash eloquent gushing. And you can find each of us on Twitter. I'm at Mandy Kay. And I'm at Matthew Bose. We are totally funded by listeners like you through our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash eloquentgushing to find out more. Uh, Anything you can give to us, even $1 a month, uh, helps support us and gives you access to exclusive content. And don't forget about the weekly newsletter that comes out on Sundays. It is available if you go to eloquentgushing.com. We'll be back next week with another episode of Pop Culturally Deprived, where we'll talk about the River Song arc on Doctor Who. Until next time, I'm Mandy Kay. And my name's Erin. With an E for everything you want. Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, go to eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at Eloquent Gushing.